Welcome to the iAfrican Bytes podcast. My name is Tefo Mohapi. I'm the editor-at-large and CEO at iAfrican Media. I recently facilitated a webinar hosted by the 4IRSA Black Partnerships and Collaborations Group, which is led by Tobisa Mashekwane. The webinar was themed repositioning business for post-COVID-19 phase. We had several guests on the webinar, including South Africa's Minister of Finance, Tito Mboweni, Mr. Billy Silikani and Mr. Kolani Kubek. Let me take you to Billy Silikani's keynote address where he spoke about organizational culture 5.0, which companies should apply post-COVID-19, or the new world as we call it. Mr. Billy Silikani is an acclaimed international speaker who helps organizations and individuals with things like performance coaching, among others. Do visit his website at billysilikanispeaks.com, that is BillySilikaniSpeaks.com to learn more about him and his organization. Welcome, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you're going to have a lot of fun tonight because we're talking a very, very dear subject in very trying times, how we need to prepare our business post-COVID-19. So my, my keynote of my presentation is called Organizational Culture 5.0 and it's based on this one very simple fact that we are in the eye of the storm. So things are as flush as they could be. And many, many people have never, ever anticipated that this would be happening. But here it is. It is what it is. We are in the eye of the storm. Now, the question becomes, is our business ready? Are our businesses ready? And also individually, are we ready to prepare ourselves to enter a completely new world? You know, before COVID-19, we spoke about disruption. But now it's disruption on steroids. It's not longer digital disruption but it's also a viral uh, disruption that has created complete havoc globally. Now, post uh, the COVID issue, we, 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 we had a, a process that we called uh, the disruptive business model. And we realized now that we need to look at it in the context of COVID-19. So what kind of business model will you need to rework your business for it to survive in this new world that we're going to face? a world filled with complete uncertainty. So your typical old school, if I may say old school, would say in the late 80s, early 90s, this was a, a business model which was used by a lot of organizations where there were five variables that were underpinned by the organizational culture. So basically you needed a strategy, you needed leaders, you needed those leaders to engage your people, you needed your people to engage with your customers, and when your customers were happy, your business would perform. So that was, that's quite simple. And the underlying foundation would be your culture. And then Peter Drucker came up with a very powerful concept that says culture eat strategy for breakfast. And that was based on research that said that no matter how solid your business strategy is, if it is not aligned to your organizational culture, your culture will always overrule your strategy. And then we then uh, looked at uh, disruption based on new technologies, new industries, Facebook, Uber, Airbnb, and those kind of businesses that came to disrupt this model. And then we ask ourselves as an organization, what would be the new ways in which people need to look at their businesses in addition to this traditional way of looking at the business? We then realized that in the, in the, for a very first time in a long time, that every work environment has got different generations working in the same workplace. So the first nuance was you needed to look at what you call 
generational mixed disruption. How those five generations that are active in your work environment, if you don't have a clearly defined operational strategy and HR strategy and talent management strategy, there will always be conflict. Because at the helm of many organizations are the baby boomers, then we've got the millennials, the Z, the, you know, all these new generations. And the baby boomers, their concept of work is you go to a place called work, you log in, you get into an office, you work, and that's how they perceive it to be productive. And other new generations say work is a thing I do, not a place I go to. Now, if your organization does not or does not have a strategy where they can deal with this effectively, then conflict becomes a natural consequence because people are wired differently uh, generationally. And then we then realize that your culture finds its expression in your leaders. So you cannot build a powerful organizational uh, culture unless it is led from the top by your leaders. Then came the nuance of leadership culture because we believe that people don't listen to leaders anymore. They emulate leaders. They watch what leaders do and they do exactly what the leaders do. Then we said, now leaders have to be at the forefront of culture how they do things, how they behave both in private and public and in the workspace has an impact on the reciprocal, the reciprocal behavior of your employees. Now, before COVID-19, we then spoke about what we call internal disruption metrics and models. What it meant, it meant that your organization had to create a think tank internally that would begin to look at uh, a disruption, you know, which, who's going to design a new software or a new app that's going to interfere with your business. Because if you look at a lot of businesses that were, were interfered with by uh, these new technologies, is they never thought that they would be interfered with. If you look at, you know, one of the test cases that we, we speak about is the Hired Group, which was formulated in California 65 years ago. Uh, their market capitalization before this whole disruption was uh, uh, $10.8 billion. Now, the fascinating thing is 11 years ago, in the same city, California, Airbnb was started and when we did the evaluation, when the evaluation was done of both the organization, Airbnb was a, a software or an app that allowed people to book multiple uh, accommodations globally. Their market capitalization was over $30 billion. Now, it's fascinating. Here's a 65-year-old company that has got a less uh, capital value than the one which is 11 years old because of the fact that the other ones are disrupt, disrupted the models of this one. But these ones were too relaxed and too comfortable in their success they never thought that Airbnb would happen. Same applies to the tech industry. None of them saw the Uber coming. Same applies to a lot of media. None of them saw blogging come, coming. None of them saw LinkedIn coming. None of them saw Facebook coming. So if your business does not have a think tank of multidisciplinary people from different departments talking about how you will be disrupted, by the time you try and catch up, the disruption would have happened. Now came COVID-19. Now, in this internal disruption and matrix model, there was a big talk, and this was a big talk from CTOs, chief technical officers, that was digital disruption. And people were just talking about it. They were not doing anything about it. It was, ah, strategic this, strategic this. When COVID hit, we were then forced to see digital transformation coming to life and remote working being the model of the day. Now, if you look at these four different nuances that have been added, and then the two at the bottom are at a very high trajectory because of COVID, we now realize that your business cannot survive thinking or using a strategy that you guys came up with six months ago. Your six months ago strategy is now completely obsolete. You have to completely rethink it. If you look at hotels, conference centers, 
If you look at restaurants, all of them had forecast, had all these beautiful things, but overnight, all of those plans have been taken out. So we need to now begin to say, how do we recalibrate our business to make sure that we not only survive COVID, but we are a new organization that will be able to navigate the post-COVID-19 business uh, environment. Now, one of the foremost organizations in the world called the Gallup Group, what the Gallup Group does, they do global research trying to find trends around employee state, how employees feel, you know, how, whether they engage, whether they like working where they're working, whether they're looking for other jobs and stuff like that. Now, the research I'm going to show you was published about uh, 15, 16 months ago. I can tell you now the statistics have shot up by over 20 to 30%. So I'm going to share with you what then the research was. And if you look at where we are today, I can tell you now the numbers have gone up. So therefore, it means when you reopen your business, you're going to deal with these things at a much more higher level than we were dealing with about 15 months ago. So the research that they came up with, they said that 59% of employees globally, this was not a South Africa, USA, it was a global research. They said 59% of workers feel physically depleted. What does it mean? It means out of 10 employees, six of them are feeling very physically tired. When they wake up in the morning, it's a struggle. When they get to work, it's a struggle. They get to work, before they start being productive, they spend about two to an hour to two hours trying to recalibrate their energy so that they can now begin to become productive. And they further said that 59% of, of them feel emotionally drained. They feel that uh, they come to work, they give so much of themselves, and the organization is not giving anything in return. So they feel uh, like completely tired. As you can see, the picture that says, if people feel like, oh my God, I wish I could be going somewhere else, but I have to go to work because I've got bills to pay. The third one was around mental destruction. Now they said 59% of the people that at work are mentally destructed. So we looked further in, uh, into what really this means, and we picked up that it means two things. Physic, uh, mental destruction is based on the fact that a lot of organizations are consistently chasing deadlines. It's deadline after deadline after deadline after deadline. So people become very distracted. While you're busy with this project, you get pulled to another project, you get pulled to this project, people are chasing sales, people are trying to do customer service. So a lot of organizations are not clearly structured, and therefore that creates a lot of mental destruction uh, from the employee side. The second one, we believe that it is self-inflicted. Why do we believe it's self-inflicted? Because we believe that a lot of people live their lives reactively instead of being proactive. What that means, it means when people wake up in the morning, the first thing they do is to go to their phones, check their Facebook, uh, Instagram, WhatsApp, and all these kind of things. So most of them, they live their life reactively, not proactively. It means they don't shut the world out in the morning and have a particular ritual that can prepare them to face the day differently. We did our own research in South Africa, and in our research in organizations that we work with, both in the private, small and medium-sized, and in government, our numbers were quite high. Over 90% of people were reactive. The first thing they did when they woke up is to look at their phones. They were not spending time and closing a particular amount of time for meditation, for praying, for gym, for all kinds of things to gear themselves and prepare themselves for the world just woke up, ooh, you know, they're all over the place. And we also pick up when we work with leaders, that's why most of the sessions that we did on strategy and leadership, we wanted them off-site because on-site people will be rushing to answer that email, meeting this person in the corridor, they've got to respond to this thing. So you find that there's this massive dis uh, dis destruction that happens within this environment. The last point that they said, they said people feel that the jobs that they're doing have no meaning or purpose in their life. There's no congruency between who they are and what the organization does. And this we find that it drops a lot of engagement. So engagement drops because people think that organizations are only interested in profit. They're not interested in 
whether the people who are doing this job are excited, passionate about it, and uh, aligning, creating alignment between their personal values, their personal journeys, and organizational journeys. Now, this statistic, like I'm saying to you, as soon as lockdown happened globally, I can tell you now the numbers have increased because some of the managers that we coach tell us that one of the greatest worries that they have is engagement. They don't know how to keep people engaged when they're working from home. They don't know how to keep them motivated because suddenly you're at home, you've got to help your child. You know, it's, it's a whole kind of different world and they're not too sure how to deal with it. So I can tell you now, without any fear, that this number is risen up drastically. So therefore, it means that as leaders, and when I'm talking about leader, uh, I mean anybody who leads a process. Either you work with two people, three people, five people, or seven people, we are in what the Greeks call the kairos. Kairos means crossroads. We have to make very deep, decisive actions that can either make us survive this era that we're in or get completely obliterated and go out of business. And we believe that every leader should look at the basic of the organization, which is their culture. Is your culture aligned to your strategy? And have you recalibrated your past strategy to give it a new direction of where your organization will be going or where the world is shifting to? So the foundation for this transformation and this change is going to come from recalibrating your organizational culture. Now, a lot of people, when they talk about culture, they think it's a very soft thing. It belongs to HR, but we believe that culture is everybody else's business because organizational culture means simply the way that you do things in your organization. That's what it simply means. And so how is this culture that we're speaking about shared? We believe that, number one, culture is built through shared learning and mutual experience. So the learning that people have in the same environment and the experience that they have, if you put this together, they then build culture. We believe that culture and brand are two sides of the same coin. We say that culture is your internal emotional attachment that people have with your organization. On the other side, brand is an external expression of what the culture is and your ability to attract the right kind of customers to appreciate your brand. So brand and culture, two sides of the same coin. The second thing is we believe that culture is transmitted through climate factors and behavioral norms. Climate factors is what kind of climate do your organization have? Is your organization a, a very warm environment or is it a cutthroat environment? Are people backstabbing each other? Are there conflicts between departments? And behavioral norms is how, based on the factors that we face with every day, we tend to behave in a certain way. And this becomes a way in which culture gets transmitted. And your organization has two kinds of cultures. Either have a culture by default, where it just began to happen without you creating it, or a culture by design, where you sat down and you clearly defined what kind of culture you needed to have, and the foundation for that becomes your core values. Now, when we look at culture at a global sense, we say that it affects eight fundamental parts of your business. But looking at where we are going now post-COVID-19, we believe that there are four critical of the eight, there are four which are completely critical which you need to look at. The first one is your strategic implementation. I said earlier on and I reiterated that the strategy that you created six months ago has become completely obsolete. So it means you need to go back and rework it as quick as you can. But as you rework it, you've gone, you don't have to question if your culture, because things have changed. People are now working remotely and there's all kind of uh, virtual teams. Uh, has your culture evolved or have you looked at your culture intrinsically to make sure that it can support your strategy? The second thing, that we believe is going to be uh, quite a tough thing to deal with is customer experience. Suddenly, you don't see your customers face-to-face. -face. Suddenly, we're on Zoom. Suddenly, we're on Microsoft meetings. Suddenly, we're on all kinds of uh, platforms trying to connect with people. Are we going to be able, as organizations, to give those people the same kind of experience? And if the answer is yes, 
kudos? If the answer is no, what are you going to do to make sure that you create processes that can make sure that you maintain the experience that you gave to your customer pre-COVID and that the same thing will happen post-COVID? The third one, which is a big, big challenge at the moment, it's teamwork and collaboration. How can you foster teamwork and collaboration when people are working remotely? Have you created a strategy? Have you spoken to your senior managers? Have you engaged people in what kind of strategies can you guys bring into to life to make sure that even though we're working remotely, we can still have the team spirit, we can still support each other and be collaborative in anything and everything that we do. And the last of the critical ones, it's engagement and performance. How are you going to engage your people and how they're going to perform? So if you look at the, the eight, we're not saying this four negate the other four, but you're saying at this juncture where we are preparing our business for post-COVID-19, these are the critical ones because these are the ones that have been challenged the most out of the others. So these are the four uh, critical aspects of your, your, your culture that you must look at. Now, what then is the new uh, reality that we, we face in uh, this post-COVID that we're speaking about? We believe that our point of action or our, our point of, of, of talk, our, our strategy of organizational 5.0, says this one profound thing, that we have to shift from employee experience into human experiences. Because, and a lot of people, when I tell them this, they say, what's the difference between the two? I say, one of the things that COVID-19 was able to do was to dematerialize the world. And what do I mean by dematerialization? Suddenly we were locked down. So if you have a V8 BMW, it doesn't matter. It's packed in the garage. If you have a Hugo Boss, a Giorgio Armani suits, it doesn't matter. They are hanged at the wardrobe. If you are CFO, COO, it doesn't matter because you're working remotely from home to your children, to your wife, to your husband. You're not the COO, you're just a father and a mother. So suddenly all these things that we perceived them to be very important at an employee level, they've become absolutely obsolete. So what does it mean? It means we need to raise our game of humanity. We need to show up post-COVID-19 different. We need to show up with more compassion, with more love, with more connection, because clearly we've proven that the things that we've been chasing and the things that we had perceived them to be important, COVID-19 has proven that they mean absolutely nothing. You know, private jets are parked, yachts are not on the river. So all these beautiful things that we spent so much time and so much energy chasing, overnight they became absolutely obsolete because of this process I call dematerialization. So therefore we believe that organizational culture 5.0, it's a shift from employee talk to human talk, from employee experience to human experience. And we believe that building these human-inspired organizations, there are four critical things that you need to do. The first thing, we believe that the C-suite, which means your ex your menco, have to become visible culture champions when you get back to the place of work. What it means, it means they have to own the culture. They have to be the ones that are the storytellers. They have to be the ones that are inspiring people. They have to be the ones that calibrate a new energy and a new vibration in your business. Second thing that must happen is a lot of you, you have to re-onboard your people. And statistically, it has been proven that between 20 to 25% of new employees leave their new company within the first 45 days because of failure of a lot of organizations to onboard people correctly. Now people have been in their houses They've been working remotely, they pick up new habits, they don't look the same, they look differently. And now suddenly they come at work. You have to create a clearly defined re-onboarding process that's going to bring them back and make sure that they calibrated the same energy and that they are behind the new way of making things. So that is critical point number two. The third one is now we understand 
that no longer should organizations be chasing profit and praying at the feet of the goddess of profit. We have to make sure that organizations have a higher purpose. And it has been proven empirically that organizations that pursue a much higher purpose become profitable anyway. And most organizations that chase profit, they end up killing and losing good talent because they burn people up. Now it means you've got to reignite the purpose of the organization so that it has a higher purpose, you know, counteracting the statistic that I shared with you earlier on about people feeling that the job that they do and the organization that they work for does not talk to, to their purpose and does not give them meaning. So it means there has to be a complete recalibration. And the last one, the roadmap for the future is going to be different. It means that you have to sit down. No longer is the exco going to go to a boss, but right on their own, you know, bring guys like us to facilitate and then come back to the organization and tell the organization this is a new way of doing things. That is not going to work. It means engagement has to be much more robust. Everybody in the organization has now must have a say in saying what kind of future and what kind of roadmap do we need to rebuild to take organization back into a place where it can become impactful, it can become productive, it can create a better working environment and people can be much more engaged and of course become profitable. But profit is no longer the first point of call. The first point of call is if you look at uh, the, the third point that speaks about the higher purpose, we need to re-look at how our organizations are rebuilt. So that's the first part of a human-inspired organizational culture. The second part is there has to be a transition from boss to coach. There has to be a transition in the way that people had been managed previously because what we're saying, we're saying it's shifting from employee to humanity. So if you can't do that, I can promise you now, some of your people that have been at home, working at home, they've picked up new skills. Some of them have started side hustles, as people call it. So they are not willing to go into an environment where they're going to be bossed again. That is going to be a thing of the past. But then how do you do that? The first thing that you, you need to do, you need to destroy your top-down protocols. You need to stop talking from the top to the bottom of your organization. Your communication protocols must now become global. Every individual in your organization must now have a say on how things are going to be done. It does not mean that you're going to spend a lot of time, you know, consulting to the grave. You have to create better ways of, of engaging people when decisions that are going to affect their life are going to be taken. Second one is performance and training must be aligned. Pre-COVID-19, performance was based on bumps on the seat, time spent on training, not aligned to performance, not aligned to the fact that once you come from a particular training course, you must be able to make a particular impact in the workplace and there must be results. That was never the case. People were attending all kinds of courses, communication courses, being assertive, all kinds of courses, but most of these courses were never aligned to the workplace. And most of them were driven by standards, aqua standard, NQF standards. And most of these had very little or nothing at all to do with real life work performance. So now we have to say, if we are in the automotive space, if we are in the communication space, we have to make sure that the training that we give our people is training that is going to impact our business now not something that we're investing in and we're hoping somehow, someday, things are going to happen. So it means that performance and training has to be aligned. The third one, increased engagement through fire chat processes. What do I mean? We have pause areas in a lot of organizations. So we must create a culture where we have this, you know, fire chats. People see it and talk and really open up on how things should be done differently. Because if you destroy your top-down protocols, it means you're opening up linear ways of people engaging and communicating. So you've got to open those things up. They have to be formalized because some great ideas are going to come from those fire chat processes. And the last one, 
is you now have to look at how do you rework the personal development plans of your people and create some sense of a personal bias? What is it that based on a 100% personal development plan, what percentage of that plan must be personal for that person? It must be a skill that they want to learn because they have an interest in that. And I believe that if organizations don't look at things in this way, it means they're going to be still, they're still trapped in six months ago. And sadly, the world hasn't, is never going to become the same anymore. Things are changing like in ways that you cannot uh, understand. Clear communication protocols, you know, grapevine, you know, communication should never ever again be a rumor. So-and-so had so-and-so say, or these people that are closer to power, they're the people who get the first communication. Now they're spread the rumor. You have to clearly define how you're going to communicate going forward so that people don't say things that can endanger your organization. And then accountability is no longer going to be only managers that are accountable. Accountability is going to become a global thing. What do I mean? Productivity is going to be everybody else's business. It's no longer going to be the line manager's business. Everybody who's part of your organization, they must be accountable for productivity. Retention rates. Retention is no longer going to be the job of the HR to retain people. Everybody in your organization must now be positive towards everybody so that your retention rates go high. Because people don't resign from organizations, they resign from people. If you're a bad manager, and if the team is conniving, the team is backstabbing, people resign from those people, not from the great organization. Now, if you can reteach your people and make them understand that they also play a part in retaining the best talent, they can then be able to have this global accountability around your, your business. Customer service is no longer a, a thing of this department. Everybody has to serve customers and retain them. And lastly, employee engagement. So when I'm talking about global uh, accountability, I mean all these four things are no longer departmental, HR, line manager. It has to be everybody's business. Otherwise, you are going to fail in this new era we're going through. So that's my thing. That's a new strategy that we, we're sharing with our, with our clients and helping them to rethink and rework their businesses because we believe that uh, your organizational culture is going to become your greatest asset that is going to assist you to rebuild your organization and make sure that you have a very powerful brand that can set you apart from your competitors and help you create not only a profitable business, but a business that can last generations. So that's my talk. And if people want to ask questions, I am here and I am ready. Dr. Seligana, thank you very much for that quite insightful presentation. Just before we go over to Q&A, I just want to welcome Dr. Mboweni. He's just joined us now. He'll be Thank our you, Minister. Next, Welcome. <laughs> he'll be our next speaker. Uh, just to kick off the q and I think uh, you mentioned something about new business models, specifically on organizational culture. Yeah. And you mentioned that post-COVID-19, remote work is going to be part of the culture, part of doing business. Absolutely. Now, to help all of us attending here, how what, can you give practical examples of how how do we instill organizational culture when people are How do we instill that culture that this is how we do things in this organization? Well, I, I think one of the first things in building an organizational culture, the foundation for any culture is your core values. Now, your core values, it's, it's a code of behavior. It's how you as an organization behave and individually, especially when nobody's watching you. Now, if your organization does not have clearly defined core values, now, what I'm saying clearly defined, there must be a universal understanding of what these values are. First, there must be a clear understanding of what the values are. Secondly, there must be behaviors attached 
to those values, which can be measured and can be part of your employee contract. It can be part of your KPIs or your KRAs. And, and one of the things that your values must be, there must be what I call committable values. Now, what do I mean by committable values? Now, in a lot of organizations, you'll hear people saying, you know, so-and-so rubs people the wrong way, but they're a top performer. So which means this one individual does bring the numbers, but he's a negative influence on other people. And they say, let's keep him. Now, once you can do that, you are now creating what we call unwritten ground rules, which is a culture by default. And that says our values are just words that we put on the annual report or we put in our uh, reception. They mean absolutely nothing. If you are closer to power or you perform, you can trample the values. Once you do that, your culture will die. You will then create this culture by default where people that are performing hold the organization uh, hostage. But if your values are clearly defined, clearly understood by everybody, they've got behaviors aligned to them, and these values are attached to your KRAs and your KPAs, and every year when they do your annual review, they also review your behavior around your values. If you can do that and people can understand that you will be held accountable more for what kind of culture you perpetuate inside your organization at a very higher level more than your own technical performance. Because I say to people that you can train technical performance, but it is very difficult to train people's attitude. Thank you for listening to iAfrican Bytes. Do check out our other podcasts on iAfrican.com forward slash radio. That is I-A-F-R-I-K-A-N dot com forward slash radio.